It sounds strange to put someone in prison until they pay back their debt. Our notion of redemption comes from that concept of a debtor's prison. Now, in debtor's prison, there's no way those prisoners are going to pay back their debts. The family and friends of that, per- that person, they had to pay back the debt. And their loved one would not be released from prison until they managed to pay back his debt. And there are a couple words that are used to talk about the family paying back the debt. And we use those words in our faith all the time. The first word is to redeem their loved one. Our word redemption comes from that, um, that word for money families and friends pay to get someone out of prison to be redeemed. The other word that would sometimes be used is ransom, to ransom them from prison. And we use that word a lot too. We see it in the Gospels that Jesus ransomed us from our sin. Jesus redeemed us. Jesus paid our debt to get us out of a kind of prison of sin. When we hear this story and Peter asks Jesus, if, Lord, if my brother forgives me, how often must I forgive? As many as seven times? Well, Peter is really trying to earn his gold star on his report because the number seven is always used when you're talking about something that's perfect. So, Lord, must I forgive my brother perfectly? Now, he asked the question expecting Jesus to say, well, no, not that many times. But Peter must have been absolutely startled, as well as all the other apostles, when Jesus says, no, not seven times, 77 times. In other words, when you forgive someone, it must be the most perfect thing you have ever done. That's a tall order. Jesus says, uh, so will my heavenly Father do to you unless each of you forgives your brother from your heart. If we die with anger in our heart, we're in a load of trouble because there's no room for anger in heaven. And just, you know, we think of doing terrible, terrible things to, to be sent to hell, but anger, holding on to anger, is one of those things that will keep us out of heaven. Now, as we listen to this, the first servant owed the master a huge amount. Now, in some of the texts, the way it's translated, in, in modern lingo, we could say that that debtor owed his master billions of dollars. This isn't, you know, a a payroll loan in advance. This servant, what, you know, we don't know, Jesus is just getting the story going here. We don't know all about him. But the point is, the servant owes billions of dollars. And then... He's forgiven that loan, but then he goes and he throttles someone who owes him money. And it's a much smaller amount. And in the text, it's a sense of maybe four months worth of wages. 
billions? Four months worth of wages. Could the servant pay back billions? There's no way he would ever pay back that money. He could not. The other guy, yeah, with a little time, he could pay that back. But the point Jesus is making, because that king, that master, is God. And with what Jesus has done for us in forgiving our sins, there is no way we can pay him back. We ask for mercy. And God forgives our debt. The king forgave the guy his debt. I, I get a little nervous when I lend somebody 20 bucks, you know, and it's like, man, I got to stop and get a hamburger or something. When is he going to give me back that 20 bucks? You know, it's money. Forgiving is hard. We know that. And there are consequences beyond the spiritual for holding on to anger. We all know, proved medically time and time again, one of the worst things for our hearts and our blood vessels is stress. It creates all kinds of, I think the word is cortisols, that end up turning into plaque in our arteries. That stress causes heart disease. We know that. Prolonged stress leads to heart attacks. To have stress damages us physically. And so does anger. Not a flash of anger, somebody does something, we blow up. No, the kind of anger that we hold on to, that we, we just can't quit forgetting. You know, we bring things up in our minds, in our hearts. We may not be bringing it back up to the person, but we keep bringing it up in our own lives. And we dwell on it. There is that type of plaque that creates dementia. uh, Anger is a type of stress. And one of the things in all of the studies they're beginning to discover, is not all, but so many people who have dementia have also had problems with anger. To think that anger can cause or be part of the cause of dementia. Holding on to anger could cost us our place in heaven and could cost us our memories or our lives. We're called to forgive. Now, I want to be clear, not everybody who has dementia has anger issues. It just seems to be one of those pieces and parts that are in there as they try to find common ground between people having dementia. And it's significant enough to notice. But when Jesus says, forgive 77 times, not only is he talking about we have to do so perfectly, he introduces a notion of time. Let's be clear, forgiveness is not an event. We just don't say, I forgive you and it's over. We've all heard the phrase, forgive and forget. Dumbest phrase anybody came up with. We 
don't forget. We can't forget. Even if we would like to, we can't. Our, our memories keep it going. There is another phrase we have to use when it comes to forgiveness, and it's not forget. It's forgive and accept. What has happened has happened, and it can't be changed. It can't be undone. Now, does forgiveness mean that we're ready to go back out and have a beer and pizza with the person we just forgave? No. Nowhere does it say that when we forgive, we're supposed to now have warm fuzzies about each other again. Sometimes that's impossible. The hurt's too deep. Even Jesus said, if that town wrongs you, leave that town and shake the dust from your feet. We can forgive someone so that we reach a point in our lives that if they need me, I'll be there for them. They're not going to be back in my inner circle because of what happened or because they just keep doing something over and over and over. But Christian forgiveness is that notion that whatever they did, I will not hold it against them. They may need me in the future, and if they do, I'll be there. But that notion of time gets introduced. And it lets us know that we have to work at it. It's not an event. We just don't say, I forgive you, and it's over. We have to work at it. And the first step in forgiveness is the decision to try to forgive. That's step one. Because sometimes we've got to try a long time. But the first step in forgiveness is that commitment to try to forgive. When it comes to forgiveness, you know, there is justifiable anger. There's righteous anger. Jesus got angry. We see that in the scriptures. But when we hold on to anger, does it really affect the other person? No. Most times they don't even know we're still angry with them. It doesn't bother their lives in the least. But it still affects us. We're not letting it go. It's affecting us. Other people have gone on with their lives and are having a wonderful time. And we're at home seething. A priest in a journal on spirituality and prayer wrote about a couple of friends of his who had both been in concentration camps during the Second World War. And he wrote about one of their conversations when they were together. And the first one asked the other, have you forgiven the Nazis for what they have done for you? I have. And the second one said, no. I haven't forgiven them, and I never will. And then the first one said, Then they still have you in prison. <laughs>